This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Indoors or out. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. Whenever you garden, wherever you garden, this is the show that covers it all. The AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And with the sous chef, Frank Proctor, along with Grace, who is our producer and the first voice that you will reach by calling the following numbers. And I'm waiting I'm waiting to introduce more properly our star of the show uh, in a moment. For Toronto, 4-1s. <laughs> Yeah, you're making me cough. I thought you were going to throw up there. Yeah, it was a toss-up, It almost made me kind of ill, too. Four, one, six. (laughs) Hi, Grace. Have I got a a wonky uh, mic here? Yes, you do. I do. I've got a wonky. There's. There we are. Okay, and as Grace was coming through the door, she slammed her hand. Oh, now she's bleeding, And ooh, I think. she's, yeah, Ow. that's a boo boo. Oh, okay, phone numbers for Toronto 416 360 0740. She's dancing up and down in the control room, shaking her hand. Ow, 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 ow. one uh, is the uh, toll-free line. Well, you know, here we are, Charlie, and we're officially into fall now, right? That's right. Yeah. The fall equinox happened. And may I tell you that you look absolutely spectacular. I don't know what... Grace was commenting on your hair. You've done some streaking there. You know me. (laughs) Well, I know you. I've heard about you and your streaking, but aside from that, (laughs) your hair looks great. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. It's these lights, I think. It's just, you know, blazing lights on me. (laughs) Uh, now, you forgot the mantra. Tell everybody oh, our mantra. Yes. Call early, call often, one question per call. Very good. Okay. Absolutely. And we're here, obviously, to talk about gardening and what's going on in your garden. As you point out, We're now it's now truly and officially fall. Yep, yep. Uh, certainly, the difference between yesterday and today feels like it, though fall started, I think, on Thursday. Uh, but yeah, well, how's that for dramatic? We were sweating oh, yesterday. Oh, no. That was unbelievable. And then today, it's uh, almost long underwear weather. But it's lovely weather for working in the garden. I mean, this and that is little just trap the best. door in your pair looked really great. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're not supposed to be watching them. <laughs> I'm going to tell. Oh, I'm behind I'm in my work. Telling, I'm going to tell Di. <laughs> All right, a couple of things coming up that are worth uh, checking out if you're not busy in your own garden yeah. this weekend. There are some events going on here in Toronto. One big one is the Evergreen Brickworks Grand Opening Weekend. Yeah. Now it's been open. Brickworks has been open to the public. It's it's. Been been open for a number of years, actually, as a, a nature trail and uh, native plant um, species. Right down by Todd Morton Mills off the uh, Don a, Valley Parkway there. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's the Bayview where Bayview extends down into the valley. Yeah. And it's right sort of down. It's on a floodplain, actually, the Don River. Uh, and so, interestingly, part of the design of this whole setup is going to allow canals through the brickworks when there are about every three or four years, the Don River overflows its banks, yeah, yeah. and rather than flooding the new setup down there, they've actually designed in a bunch of Venetian type canals so that when the, the, the floods happen, the buildings oh, will very stay dry. Clever, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, well, they're preparing for the obvious, and mm. you know, it's part of one of those things. You build on a floodplain, you better be ready for some <laughs> floods. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, the grand opening weekend is 
this weekend, and there are no floods, so you're <laughs> welcome to go down in just plain running shoes. You don't need your hip waders. Uh, today, all day from 8 until 5 is the big reveal, so lots of opportunities to see all the neat things they've done. Most of it is restoration of old brickworks, industrial mm-hmm. buildings. Using, and there was a bunch of old bricks left on the property. So they've done some very neat things, building uh, some neat. And there's a lot of good information about how the brickworks used to work. Plus, there is one brand new building, which is, you know, very you know ecological and LEED certified, et cetera. Tomorrow from 11 to 6 is the community festival. So like I say, lots going on. It's at 550 Bayview Avenue, just south of Pottery Road. There's very limited parking. So there's a very strong emphasis on either walking or riding your bike. They have a free shuttle bus, uh, I believe, from Broadview Subway today, or sorry, oh, this weekend, very good. to get there as well. Because, like I say, very limited parking, and there's a kind of an anti-car thing going on down yeah. there. Well. Everybody <laughs> rides their bikes. Everybody who works there, you can't get a job there unless you ride your bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those places. So, okay, one more thing. If you insist on driving, there's lots of parking at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, and today is fun for all. From 11 until 4, it's being hosted by the Toronto Botanical Gardens. Come and join in the fun as the kids make the final harvest of the bounty from the teaching garden adding to the 700 pounds of fresh veggies they've already donated to the North York Harvest Food Bank. So that's pretty cool. There's also a sale of wonderful fall plants Mm -hmm. because it is time to think about refreshing some of our planters at our front doors, particularly. These plants have been personally selected by Paul Zamet. You remember Paul, who was on the show. He Mm -hmm. is the horticultural director of the Toronto Botanical Gardens. And he's got some elegant outdoor urn arrangements you can buy and slip into your own containers. So very simple, you know, pop-in arrangements, and Paul is a, an amazing, you know, designer extraordinaire. So it's always worth seeing what Gonna he's up to. Going to get the best advice Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as you know, TBG, or Toronto Botanical Gardens, Leslie and Lawrence, south uh, west corner, I believe, 777 Lawrence Avenue East is the actual uh, address, and like I say, you can park there. You don't have to ride your bike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How's that for me? Well, hey, we're right on time then, too. Uh, we are. Because we, we have the head phone lines... Well, they're plugged right now, so we can come back and talk to the folks and maybe get some suggestions, you know? Maybe. Uh, Before we go to a break, though, I just want to remember, I don't know if you remember, last week, somebody named Neil called. We were talking about Sierra Sill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got a little, uh, um, we haven't put it to music yet, but the jingle has started. (laughs) It's not just a pill. It's Sierra Sill. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, what is Sierra Sill? It's a it's a natural mineral supplement used to keep your keep yourself moving, keep those joints lubricated. Uh, no more stiffness. Uh, no more tough build, bending down, moving the pruners, any of that. Swinging a golf club. Do it all and do it pain free. Use Sierra Sill for more information. One eight seven seven joint fourteen. Through rainy days and long droughts, infestations and early frost, she's the one constant in your garden. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And you know, Charlie, it's a very pretty day out there. And as long as you've got a jacket on, uh, it doesn't have to be a heavy jacket, just a a light jacket, you're fine. And a good good day to be out there in the garden, I would suppose. I would Hmm? suppose and I would support. Well, (laughs) Well, we're we're in full agreement here. Uh, Donata in Maple is on the line. Good morning, Donata. Hello. Hey, Donata. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. No, she's she's not. she's gone. She's gone. Disappeared. She'll be back. Okay. Yep. She and her papaya tree. Okay. Uh, Jack in Welland. Good morning to you. 
Well, now, uh, <laughs> Grace now is starting to pull her hair out. This is deja vu. <laughs> oh, okay. Are, there, are we there, Jack? No? Oh, uh, I don't know. The, okay, while, while Grace is figuring that out, yes. let me share an email with you. Because I do get the odd email, and sometimes I have a hard time finding the time to fit in an opportunity to answer. This is from Marilyn. Uh, last week, she sent a message that says she wants to know about transplanting a large hydrangea. The, this is the kind of hydrangea mm-hmm. where the blossoms turn green at the end of the season. So I believe she's talking about what is commonly referred to as an Annabelle hydrangea. They get the big, the round uh, green or white blossoms in late summer. Uh, she's wondering, should this be dug up at the center of the shrub or at the side? It takes up a big part of my flower garden right now. All right, so I guess I'm a bit confused about that question. Should be dug up at the center of the shrub or at the side. Um, what I would do, Marilyn, if I had a big hydrangea and I was needing to move it, is first of all, I would cut it down to being about a foot tall. Mm-hmm. So right away, it's a lot more manageable of a, of a plant. If you find that when you're looking at it, there's like hundreds and hundreds of stems and the, the root ball is just going to be huge, then yes, you can just chop the root ball in half and take part of it. Generally speaking, for the best chance of survival, though, we attempt to lift the entire root ball. So, yes, you would dig almost like a moat all the Mm -hmm. way around and then undercut your root ball. Pick up as big of a root ball as you possibly can. Of course, have the hole prepared where you're moving it to, recognizing that it's a big plant and it needs room to spread. The cutting it down to uh, a foot tall now is a bit unusual. Typically, we do cut those plants down, but we do it in the spring. And that helps keep them a little smaller through the growing season as well. They don't get quite as big if you cut them down in the spring. So remember that. That might help you as well. Uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the season, each plant should be, you know, maybe a meter by a meter. Mm-hmm. But if it's bigger than that, it's because you're not cutting it low enough in the spring. Just a, one more thing. When you are transplanting anything, including this hydrangea, use bone meal in the hole or um, a quick start or a transplanter type fertilizer. Get those roots growing right away with something that's high in phosphorus. See, sending those emails, it does work. It does work. <laughs> and I believe Donata is with us from Maple. Good morning, Donata. Hello. Oh, dear. Good yeah, morning. Hi, hi Donata. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Go ahead, dear. Charlie? Yes, go ahead. Good morning. I heard, can't hear you too much. I tell you what, you ask your question. Okay, and then thank you. Hang up the I phone. ask about uh, a papai tree. Some friend of mine gave me a letter tree. It's about 50 centimeters high. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how to grow and what soil I have to use, what I have to do to grow that. All right. And it's a papaya for sure? Yeah, it's a okay. papaya. Okay. So tell you what, you might be able to hear better if you hang Maybe up the phone. I close the phone and you tell me on the radio? Exactly. Okay, thanks. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So interesting. You know what papaya is, right? When was yeah, the uh, fruit, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's a big fruit. It's it's um almost looks like a big squash. Mm-hmm. Uh orange flesh. It is a form of a melon. Uh Papaya is famous for a lot of different things, but, you know, it's very common in the tropics. It's, you know, to what we, you know, we eat bananas. We don't, we import bananas as well. But, you know, for for breakfast fruit, papaya is very, very common in in the tropics. So Donat has been given a papaya tree. Bottom line, this is a tropical or subtropical plant. It will not survive outdoors in the wintertime. So it's in a pot now. The trick would be to make sure if it's about 50 centimeters tall, I would have it in a pot that's at least an 8 to a 10 inch sized pot. 
just very good, well-drained potting soil is what you need. You know, good, fresh Mm -hmm. potting soil, not garden soil, but potting soil. The plant needs to be in, obviously, in a pot with drainage and needs to be treated as an indoor plant. Full sun, sunniest possible spot you can give it in in your home. Southern window, western window. Um, Do remember to turn the plant every week, uh, 90 degrees. Otherwise, it's going to grow in a real sharp angle. And you want to try and keep it straight as a tree. Be prepared to take it outside next spring. You know, treat it as a tropical, outside in the summer, inside in the winter. Will you ever get fruit? Unlikely. Has to be a very big, very mature tree before you'll ever see fruit on it. And that's an awfully big plant to be transporting in and out. So is it very decorative? I mean, is it a good-looking plant without the fruit? It's not bad looking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, for us, it's certainly a novelty plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're not used to seeing a plant like that. Papayas are interesting the way the fruit grows because they grow right on the stem of the plant. They don't hang on the branch oh, like an oh, apple. Yeah. They they grow right on the stem. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it, it's a nice looking plant. It's like I say, very very common. If you get down into Mexico and south of there, you'll see groves and groves of, of papayas and mangoes and all that. So fun to have. Uh, no, you know, it doesn't have to be super challenging to grow. Just treat it as you would an oleander or hibiscus, one of the, the tropical house plants that go in and out. Okay. Uh, Tanata, I hope you heard all that. And uh, we're going to be back to talk to Jack in Welland right after these words on the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show. Transplanting good ideas from one gardener to another. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And the phone numbers, if you're in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Out of town, anywhere in uh, the province for that matter, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And uh, let's say hi to Jack in Welland. Hi. How are you doing this morning, Jack? Very good. Good. Morning. Uh, my question is about mums. Mm-hmm. I just purchased two of them, yes. and I'd like to put them in the ground. Mm-hmm. And um, when do I put them in the ground, and uh, do I leave them in the pot? And put them in the ground. Are they in fiber pots now or plastic? They're plastic. Okay, so, and do you want them to survive to come up again next year? That's right. Oh, then you definitely need to get them out of the pots. Yes. The sooner you get them in the ground, the better your chance of them living and surviving throughout the winter. Okay. Okay. So just make sure that you water them thoroughly before you plant them. Yes. Make sure that you use a little transplanter or bone meal, so it's a fertilizer that will just help get some roots growing. All right. Again, for water thoroughly when you plant. Put them in a sunny spot, well-drained soil. Yes. Uh, enjoy them this fall. Um, allow the, it, Personally, I'd probably tuck a few leaves around them as the winter starts to you know, really hit and the frost has melted. Mulch not, them? Yeah. Um, yeah, just exactly. Just if, if a few leaves gather around the plant, that's fine because that will help kind of insulate them a tiny bit this winter. If we don't get a ton of snow. Next spring, you should see little tiny green sprouts start to show right at ground level. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, will be green plants all spring and summer in your garden and will flower late in the summer, just naturally in your garden uh, next year. And how about pinching back? I heard about pinching. Yes, what what we do, because sometimes mums will get really tall, and then they get really floppy by the time that they start to bloom, and not to mention top Nothing heavy. Nothing worse than a floppy mum. Exactly. Oh, I tell you, no. So, so what do the same thing? Some of the tall stone crops do this. Asters can do it as well. So in June, mid-June, whatever height the green stems are of any of those three plants I just mentioned, mums, asters, and sedum, mm-hmm. in mid-June, you go through with your shears, and you cut them down to half the height they are at that time so if they're a foot tall you chop them down to six inches tall and that helps to keep them lower 
more compact, denser, and a lot less floppy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> I once had welcome. a potted mum, but enough about my mother's drinking problems. So <laughs> we'll go on to another as long call. As she wasn't floppy. Be. No, she wasn't. No. Uh, Margaret in Scarborough. Hi. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. I have vines. I have a trumpet vine mm-hmm. and a honeysuckle, which I are two years old, and they um, have bloomed lovely this summer. Mm-hmm. And I also have a clematis, which was planted this spring, late. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? Do I cut them back? Now, I did do that with the other two vines. I cut them back last fall, mm-hmm. and they grew up again beautifully. But what do I... Is this the best way to go? Um, well... You don't have to cut them back, but you can. You've obviously had good success doing that with both the honeysuckle and the trumpet vine. Trumpet vine can be a takeover vine, so cutting it back now can be a wonderful idea if it's causing problems, it's too big, it's too heavy, it's overgrown. Uh Definitely go right ahead and cut either this fall or early next spring. The uh, honeysuckle... When they're very young, I usually usually leave them alone, but as they get a little bigger, absolutely, we start to, to trim just to keep them tidy, keep them, you know, growing nice and dense and, and full. Uh, now, the clematis, the trimming is all dependent on when it blooms and what type of clematis. You don't know the variety you planted. No, I'm sorry, I don't. Is it, does, were the flowers uh, flat, almost star-shaped? It didn't bloom this year. Oh, it didn't. Okay. No. So you plant. It's grown to about, I think, 30 inch, 30, yeah, about 30 inches, I guess. Okay. It's that tall right now. Yeah, no. Clematis are one of those plants you have to be patient. It takes two or three years for them to really, really get growing noticeably to our eye. For the first two or three years, all their energy seems to go into root uh, growth and, and sort of getting established. So I would probably leave it entirely alone. You have no, you didn't save a tag, or was there a tag on it? No, when you... I, I don't have anything, okay. no. Um, the rule of thumb with clematis is we trim them uh, in the spring, if they're the form of clematis that blooms in the summer. So for your purposes, I would just leave it alone this fall. Don't do anything to it. Leave it alone for the winter. Next spring, when it starts to sprout, you'll start to see little buds on the, on the stems. They're just, they're just like little mouse ears. They're just gray and fuzzy. When they're just starting to, to sort of fatten up and get fuzzy, not a bad idea to sort of cut it down to half the height. If it's about 30 centimeters, cut it down to 15. Mm-hmm. Again, that's going to provide some more growth. It'll be a denser, fuller plant mm-hmm. by doing that. Then leave it alone. Don't prune it again for the rest of the year. Wait again until the following uh, spring. Mm-hmm. I, it probably is a summer blooming variety, and you probably should be doing just as I say every spring. Cut it down to about 15 to 20 centimeters tall every spring. Do I help these vines up? Clematis needs something to grow on. They have no suckers, but they will twine onto something that you give them. Trellis, something like that. Exactly. Some string, Mm -hmm. some wire, uh, fish netting, anything like that. They will hold on, but you have to give them something to grow onto. Mm -hmm. Same with honeysuckle. They will grow onto something that you provide for them to grow up. Trumpet vine, on the other hand, they'll pretty much grow on anything. <laughs> I've seen them on hydro poles, sides of buildings, fences, you know, homes, everything. Trumpet vine, they'll, they'll figure a way to go, right? They, if anything, you need your chainsaw to control a trumpet vine. Now, should I cover the roots? How do you mean cover, as in mulch them for the winter? Yeah. You shouldn't have to. Um, I personally 
always use leaves in my garden, chopped up leaves, as a form of adding organic matter to my soil. And it also adds a bit of an insulation to the plant. So, sure, do that. Don't, don't do the scorched earth policy in the fall. Keep your leaves. Don't, don't uh, send them away. Keep them on the property for what they provide in terms of insulation, but also the organic material. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Right. Thank you very much. You're Thank very you welcome. very much, Margaret. Thanks, Margaret. You are listening to AM740, and this is the only garden show in Toronto. Charlie Dobbin, the master gardener who sits beside me always with a smile. And I'm going to go uh, out to Ridgewood. I'm going to go out on a limb here, <laughs> and I'm going to say hi to Bill Sims, who is uh, who live, living in uh, Ridgeway by the Lake, one of our fine sponsors. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's Bill on the line. Hello, Bill. You got it. Frank. <laughs> hey, there you go. That's How are you doing? Good. I didn't get a chance to call in to speak to um, Charlie last weekend, um, but what, what the problem is, I, I think I explained to you when you were here, uh, my neighbor had Japanese beetles quite badly. Right, yes. Mm. And we just got our lawn put down uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, should I um, get the nematodes? When you say got the, your lawn, is it a brand new lawn, like a newly sodded lawn? That's correct, yeah. It's it's a brand new home. Right. Okay. So brand new lawn. It's a beautiful home. I was I, I was taken on a tour. Uh, yeah. yeah, I bet. He only charged me seventy five cents too, which was really wow, new. cheap. Yeah. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> Took a couple hours to do that tour. I bet too. It um well okay. So sh- the question is, should you put nematodes just in case there are grub eggs in your lawn? Uh huh. Is that really a question? Okay, yeah. but the sod was put down how long ago? A couple weeks ago? Yeah, about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. See, it's very unlikely. I No, you probably don't need to put, for two reasons. One is you're unlikely to have actual uh, nematode grubs or, or, you know, nematode, sorry, grub eggs having hatched, doing any chewing in your lawn right now because there wasn't a lawn there two weeks ago. So no eggs would have been um, laid last spring in that location because there wasn't a lawn there, right? It was a construction zone. Correct. So that, number one, you're highly unlikely to have any grub issues right now. Number two, it's a bit late. If okay. you were going to do the nematode treatment, the best time to do that is early to mid-August. Okay. It's partially because of so- soil temperature required, soil moisture levels that are required, and a time frame for the eggs of the nematodes to hatch, to then find the grubs, to then do their duty and due diligence of you know chewing and eating up the grubs. So that's the one. So I wouldn't bother. Uh, I mean, are you seeing any evidence of yellow patches or thinning? No. It, uh, we just got the lawn yeah. in. So, so it's beautiful all. right I now. I was wondering yep. about possible migration. Nope. From no. his property. No, what might happen is that next year, when the June beetles emerge from the ground, or what we think of as June beetles, you know, the big mm-hmm. various beetles that come flying out at sunset, they will be flying around looking for places to lay eggs next May and June, and that's when you could end up with some grub uh, um, eggs being laid in your lawn. So in the meantime, you do everything, and it's good you're calling. I mean, nematodes, you're thinking ahead. Yes, you may want to think about nematodes for next August, but what you should do now is fall fertilize. If no fertilizer went down, which it probably didn't as part of this sod laying, get yourself some winterizer or fall fertilizer for your lawn. Mm -hmm. Next spring, get right on top of that top dressing and overseeding and just TLCing your lawn. 
rake as required. You know what I mean? Like really stay on top. It starts to look a bit thin in spots. Have a bag of grass seed ready. Fill the spots with seed before any weeds move in. Oh, listen, his wife Margaret will have the big whip out making sure that he gets all that done. Right, Bill? Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> the honeydew list is so long. <laughs> well, but, you know, when you've got a great lawn right now, the best thing to do is, is maintain it, right? Stay on top mm-hmm. of it. Keep it beautiful. Don't let it go to weed. Don't let it go to, you know, as soon as some weeds move in, some bugs move in, it starts to get sparse. So over, top dressing, overseeding, and for this right now, fall fertilizing. Okay. All right. Good to hear from you, Bill. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for your call, Bill. Okay. That, that guy has, has a smile on his face that is perpetual. He was so happy to move there, and yeah. and he said he pointed to his, himself as he's smiling, saying, this ain't going to leave for a long time. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, just he's in a totally, perfect spot. Absolutely, eh? absolutely. Oh, just lucky loved it. him. Well, it sounds yep. like he's got a gorgeous lawn. Really, and a gorgeous, gorgeous house. house. Yeah. Yep. Well, now, let's see. Where do we go next here? Ta-da. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Laura, uh, who wants to talk about tomatoes uh, from Eris. Where is Eris, Laura? Oh, about six miles northwest of Guelph. Okay. Yeah, between Guelph and West Montrose. <laughs> I, I got a rough fix on it. That's no, good. Okay. Right. Nice. Okay. What's going on in your garden, Laura? <coughs> Excuse me. The tomatoes are, are cracking. Mm. Gall darn near every one of them is cracking, uh, whether they're green or ripe, and and a lot of them are turning brown, right on the vines. Yeah, something happened. The temperature changed, and the, uh, the I think many of the tomatoes are not looking good. They're not looking now like they did a month ago, where they're just beautifully oh, ripening yeah. up. You're right. They're just and, they've and turned I'm not a corner. The only one. Mm-hmm. There, I've spoken to several people who have had the same problem. Well, the cracking goes back to water. If the watering was insufficient or too sporadic through the entire growing season. Tomatoes are just the first ones that as soon as we get a big rainfall, which, mm-hmm. of course, we had last week, the, the skin split. You had too much moisture. Hey, Charlie. Excuse me, but yes? I can hardly hear you. Um, okay, uh, maybe the best thing would be to hang up and turn up your radio then. Oh, okay. Laura, okay. okay. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So um, Laura's asking why her tomatoes split, and, of course, that comes back to sporadic watering. It's so important that our vegetables have consistent water right through the entire growing season. And tomatoes, with their thin skins, will split the skin when they get a big, we get a big rainfall. So we obviously, Laura's tomatoes had some dry periods, the skins form, then you get a big rainfall, all that moisture goes into the fruit, as you know, into the plant, into the fruit, skin split. So that's what that is, and they go straight into the composter when that so happens. nothing you can do really. Nothing you can no. do. And that browning and the, um, yeah, the rotting on the vine, we're seeing it. I'm definitely seeing it in my tomatoes, same with my peppers. It's, it's one of those we're going to have to harvest now, even if they're green, wrap them up in newspapers and, uh, you know, ripen them in the house or use those green tomatoes to make that famous green tomato jam. Oh. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. The green tomato jam? Di and I uh, picked up some tomatoes uh, along Lakeshore um, uh, Road Mm -hmm. in uh, near St. Catharines, Mm -hmm. and these tomatoes were the most Mm -hmm. tasty. Oh, boy, we had toasted tomato sandwiches, it seems, for a week. Like every morning was, oh. But that was how long ago was that (laughs) that that you bought Yeah, you're right. That was about a month ago. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and in your area, you may still find some Mm -hmm. very good tomatoes available. I'm sure you actually would, because um, even two weeks ago, I was down in your area, as you know. We picked up peaches that were... 
you know, just succulent and sweet. And yet in our stores here in Toronto, we were finding the peaches didn't have mm. that same delicious fa- mm. flavor. So you're very lucky where you live because you can just roadside pick up and it's just perfect, oh, right? Oh, they're gorgeous. None of, yeah. You know, because a lot of these plants, they don't, uh, the, the fruit and vegetables don't have a huge shelf life. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, get them right from the farmer, get them from the grower, eat them that day. And boy, that flavor is amazing. They are so good. Well, yes. let's let's hear what's going on in Coburg. Dorothy's joining the show, the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show here at AM740. Hello, Dorothy. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Glad I managed to get through. I feel rather lucky this morning. Oh, great. I, I have a beautiful butterfly bush, mm-hmm. and we've had so many butterflies. We've had mm. so much enjoyment, and we've still got a few blossoms on there, but it's looking kind of raggy, mm-hmm. and I wondered if I should cut it down now or in the spring, or what should I do with it? The best time to cut down, and you're absolutely right, we do cut down the butterfly bushes, but do it in the spring. And what I do, and okay, the one thing you can do now is the old past flowers, you can definitely remove those, so the brown, crispy flowers. Take those away. If the plant is so big that it's got stems and branches that are interfering with your ability to get down a walkway or, you know, get through some part of the the yard, then sure, cut some of those away. Provide yourself that that access that you need for the rest of the fall and the winter. Mm -hmm. What I do in terms of my real cutting down with butterfly bushes, I wait till the spring. And I I wait until I start to see green growth. And... um, Different years, we get different things happening. Sometimes if it's a very, very mild winter, I'll have green sprouts halfway up the plant, halfway up the stems that, you know, so the plant is alive, you know, a meter tall, and then the rest is all dead. Cut all the dead away. Some years, like this past one, it was virtually entirely dead right down to the ground. So the only green growth was right down at ground level. So again, cut away all the dead in the spring. Okay. Uh, so that is the best time to do it. I find they survive the winter better if you leave them alone and just allow them to hunker down and go into their, their dormancy with all their parts intact and yeah. then remove the dead stuff in the spring. Okay. I thought maybe it would look kind of nice in the snow and, and mm. we have something there that's growing, you know. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's a very nice form. It's a great framework when the snow falls in the winter. Yeah. Okay. Good thank stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks, thank Dorothy. you, Dorothy. And uh, thank everyone for their phone calls here. And by the way, if you're still trying to get through on the line and you've maybe forgotten the numbers, it's been so long since I've given them. Okay. For Toronto, 416-360-0740. And then anywhere else in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And we'll be back in just a moment to have a chat with June after these words. Getting to the root of a growing dilemma. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And I am Frank Proctor, your sous chef of the garden, along with Charlie. And uh, we have a call in from uh, Niagara Falls, June. Hi, good morning, June. Good morning. First of all, I want to say I'm so lucky to get through. And secondly, how much I enjoy your program. Well, that's great. Thank you. I have a hibiscus, which has uh, outside, it's grown up to around three feet over the summer. I've had anywhere from 12 to 20 blooms on it. Wow. And a couple of things, I'm wondering, can I uh, repot it at this time before I bring it in? And also, is it really necessary to cut it back? (laughs) Good questions. Can you repot it? Now, do you, do you need to repot it? Is it growing out of the pot? Are you seeing roots? 
No, it just seems uh, it's not growing out of the pot, but it's uh, because of the size and everything. I seem to have to water it every day, sometimes, you know, a couple yeah. of times a day when we had that really hot weather. Yeah, well, and there, there's no question. Hibiscus are have a lot of roots, and they. Uh, what will end up happening is, yeah, you'll have a pot just of roots. You'll have virtually no soil in there at all. So can you repot it now? Yes, if you need to, and it sounds like it might be appropriate. So whatever size pot it's in now, go up two inches, uh, two inches larger size, uh, and that will provide you some space for some okay, soil. Um- just a moment. I, what I'm going to do is hang up, and if you could repeat that, and sure. I will catch it on the radio. Your voices seem to be soft okay, coming that, over the phone. Hmm. Okay, thank okay. you. Yeah, I'll, th- I'll just hang up and I'll. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll give you time to tiptoe Thanks, across June. the room there and <laughs> turn up that radio, June. That seems to be a bit of a technical issue here yeah. this morning. Well, I have no idea. Are you standing on a line in there, Grace? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's poor Grace. Grace. Is your finger any better? No. Poor Grace. Right at the oh. top of the show, she slammed her finger in the in between the sliding glass doors Ow. here, and she's it's just throbbing. <laughs> so uh, I'm not laughing at you. Well, no, yes, I am. She has I nine am. more fingers. She'll be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> poor now, Grace. June has already turned up the radio and uh, is waiting now for your reply. Okay. All right, so uh, June's question was, can she repot the hibiscus? And the answer is, if you need to repot now, do so. The best time to repot any of your plants is when they're actively growing, which is traditionally in the spring or early summer. But sometimes plants get ahead of us and they need to be repotted in the fall, and we do that if we need to. Not the best time, but hibiscus are pretty tough plants, so you're unlikely to cause any damage or problems for the plant. Now, whatever size pot it's in now, you mentioned it's about three feet tall, so I imagine it's probably in about a 10-inch pot. The idea would be to get it up to a 12-inch pot. Get yourself some fresh potting soil or potting mix. Use that uh, in the bigger pot with the, the root ball. Don't hesitate to, I was gonna say, don't hesitate to remove, uh, cut some of the roots away, but this isn't the best time of year to do that. Spring, you know what? I get out a big butcher knife and I'll just like take a bunch of roots off of the hibiscus and never think twice about it because they're so vigorous. They grow back very quickly. But at this time of year, probably best to not do a lot of root trimming. Just pot it up into a bigger pot, fresh soil, obviously good water. Now, the other question is, do you have to cut the plant back? No, you don't have to. If it's still a size, you can manage it from outside to inside. I know I hate cutting hibiscus down at this time year they're covered in buds covered in flowers if you don't need to cut it down don't cut it down just bring it in the size it is now obviously you're going to give it a wash a thorough soap and water bath before it comes in to get rid of the little varmints that might have been sitting on it from outside and bring it into your house and enjoy it in a nice sunny location enjoy the buds that are on it the flowers that are going to come out and do plan if you're not going to do any trimming Uh, between now and Christmas, don't worry about it. But after Christmas, you know, January, February, that's when it's time to really give it a good haircut. And that way you'll be ready to go next year with lots more new growth and lots more flowers. You've just heard the word from Charlie Tough Love Dobbins. Get that (laughs) knife out there and slash away. Boy, yeah, that's right. You just love attacking things with a verve and a vengeance. Well, now. You can tell, can't you? Yes, (laughs) Oh, your eyes just kind of glitter and shine when you're talking. See, we we must go to uh, Ron in in Brantford, right, a hibiscus plant. Another hibiscus the, question, yes. Yes, hello, good morning, Ron. Good morning, how are you this morning? Great. Well, I'm having the same problem as uh, as June had. Really? Fading, so let me tell you the problem. I have three standard hibiscus. Uh, they're in fairly large pots. I want to bring them in for the winter. 
the heads on them are probably two and a half to three feet. We just purchased them this spring. They will fit in the house. And I'm wondering, you know, give it the uh, Safer's insecticidal soap spray before we bring it in. But um, I'm wondering if we need to trim them back at all. So what I'll do, I'll turn off the phone and turn on the radio. I'm uh, sitting right beside the radio here. That's so great. The answer. Excellent. Thank you, Ron. Okay, oh. hang on. Okay. As uh, you can't see me, folks, but I'm actually doing a little tap dance. Yeah, a little soft. It's sort of That's... vamp till ready thing here. You know the old. <laughs> <laughs> Theatrical expression. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah vamp till ready. It's like filler. Uh, the drummer. And oh, here comes the headliner. I'm on. Okay. Right. Now, Ron's question, similar to June's, does he have to cut back? No, you don't have to cut back. If you can get him in the door, get those standard hibiscus into your house. Like I said, enjoy those buds and blooms while they're while they're happening. Mm-hmm. But remember, mark it on your calendar. You will do a fairly radical up to 30% pruning like a removal of 30 percent of the stems and leaves etc come february march on all your hibiscus plants that will mean lots more flowers and lots more new growth next year when they're actively growing uh you mentioned safer soap ron and and you're right any soapy solution uh for the above ground parts of the hibiscus coming in something i like to do is a a drench with the pots Uh, i fill a big rubber made tub with water and then i i immerse the, the pots right under the water. Uh, and this is because sow bugs, earwigs, all kinds of little guys jump. and uh, They're living in the soil. They're having a grand old time outside in my pots. The trick is I want to bring them in without the insects inside the soil. Centipedes. I know my family freaks out when, you know, these <laughs> things start crawling across the living room floor. Yeah, that, well, so do I. That have come <laughs> yeah. out of these pots. So I find that drenching or submerging the pots right under water Every All the little insects, they abandon the pot very quickly. They float to the surface of the water. They're out of the pot. You basically just put the pot, you know, plant and all, underwater. Good five, ten minutes. Gives it a really thorough watering. Also helps neutralize some of the salts that might have built up in the soil. And it definitely gets the bugs out. Uh, good drainage. You know, sit it outside for, you know, another half an hour or so till they drain. Uh, and then into the house they go. Nice and clean and, and ready for the winter. Well, with all this digging and replanting and lifting and hiking, folks might wind up with a sore back, but I think you have the solution. I do, and it's a solution that you use as well. Yes, indeed. It's something called Sierrasil, and it keeps you limber. And not to mention doing that kickboxing that you're so famous for. <laughs> That's actually not kickboxing. I like so calling it kickboxing. Oh, okay, I'll write that. Right, I know right. it's boxing. All right. <laughs> so you put on your, your your satin shorts and you go out there and you box in the ring. And Elliot, uh, my husband, is a, attests to the usefulness of Sierra Sil in his lifestyle. He rides his bike. I, when we were in down in Niagara, he rode 45 kilometers in like was one he day. Nuts? I know. That's 40, what I was. Gee. Actually, one day in like an hour and a half. I don't quite know how he did that. But, Good for him. Uh, okay. But that's partially, I maybe because he's using Sierra Sil keeps him, keeps his joints feeling good and keeps him able to keep moving and stay active, which is what it's all about. For more information, one eight seven seven joint fourteen. Through rainy days and long droughts, infestations and early frost, she's the one constant in your garden. You're listening to the AM seven forty Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And Frank Proctor along with Charlie on this gorgeous fall Saturday morning, uh, 25th of September, as we zip on, well, actually just around the corner, basically, uh, to Toronto here, and George is on the line. Hi, George. Good morning, guys. Morning. Go right right ahead, George. 
this is my first time I call you guys. Okay. I, I listen to you every every morning. Oh, great. So uh, I have a question. Uh, I I have a, a tree, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the tree when I come back from overseas in July mm-hmm. was dry, and the, the leaves fell down. Excuse me, George. Have you got the radio on? If you can turn that down, that will help somewhat, I think. You're getting a bit oh, of okay. feedback, okay? Yeah, yeah. I did. Okay, 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 that's fine. So you were overseas, you came home, and it's a cherry tree that you yeah, have? Cherry tree, yeah. Uh-huh. And the leaves were all dry on the tree? Yeah, they, they fell down, yeah. All the leaves fell off? All the leaves fell down. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe my neighbor told me it looks like you have a, a sick tree there now, a fungus. You may. Is it a big old tree or a young tree? No, no. It could be eight years or less, or, mm. you know. Uh, when uh, you, I, I don't understand what happened. Okay, so when you look at this, the branches and the stems on the tree, do they look normal or do they have some kind of almost a growth, um, a tumor kind of growth uh, along the branches? Well, I, I see something like, like a gum brown uh, along the, the, the body of the of the tree there. Oh, uh, really? On the main, you see that on the main stem, the trunk? Yeah, like, you know, mm. on the body, you see yep. spots, spots, uh, uh, like a gum, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, so your neighbor is right. You have, and we've talked about this in the past. It's actually, it is a fungus. Uh, it, I, I, I cut the thing off on the top anyway. Okay. The trick what, what is. exactly was the thing there? Well, it's a fungus called black knot. So the color black and then K N O T. It all it all starts with that sappy stuff that you see. It's kind of an amber colored sap that cracks. the The bark will crack, and you'll see this uh, liquid sap. And that's it. All starts actually with the bark cracking, and then the fungus enters the plant through uh, breaks in the bark, and the the fungus is inside the plant. Uh, eventually, it, it traditionally and often will kill the tree if it gets into the center of the tree. If you're only seeing the sap out on the tips, out on the branches, you can remove branches with the sap being cut away. But as soon as you see that sap on the main trunk or in the center of the tree, you've probably lost the tree. Uh, only was on the top. Mm-hmm. I, I, I cut the, the mm-hmm. top off mm-hmm. already, you know? Right, and so is there any evidence of that sap anymore? Well, I don't see any any coming, no. Okay. So your main thing to do right now, then, is allow the tree... I mean, it's probably got no leaves on it now. It when It's either dead or it's gone dormant early, early dormancy. So just leave it alone and see what happens next spring. Yeah. See if it breaks out with new leaves, and if it doesn't, then remove the tree. Yeah, that's I'm thinking, too. My wife told me to cut it off. I said, no, in the yeah. spring, I'll see how... Yep, yeah. yep. No, no harm Keep, in uh, at least giving it... That's right. Give it a chance. See if it comes back. Now, if it, you could to try. If it, you think it's alive, you can scratch the this the branches, the stem, not the main trunk, but you can scratch some of the branches with, just with your thumbnail. Yeah, and yeah. you'll see if there's any green or or moisture or life below the the um, superficial bark, the very thin bark on the out on the tips. Yeah. If it seems like it is probably alive, I would plan to spray it next spring 
with dormant spray before it starts to grow. So when the buds have not yet opened, when it's still dormant in March, you would spray with lime sulfur and horticultural oil mixed together. It, you'll buy it in a package called dormant spray. Somewhere I can buy it. Oh, any good garden center, many even of the, the home, uh, home stores will have dormant mm. spray. So just look for that in the spring. They'll have it out for sale usually March yeah, 1st. I have another question. Uh, we, we can't take another question. No, we're uh, sorry. Done. We've Thank got you one more caller call. we can squeeze in, but do call again next week, okay? Keep on track with that tree and uh, good luck with it, too. Mm. Uh, we have Elsie on the line from Norwich. And uh, let's see, uh, where is Norwich? I know I've been through there and I just cannot recall for the life of me where. It is. It's south of Woodstock, about 15 miles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I've got a fix on it. Good. Good. Thank you very much. What's your question, Elsie? Uh, it's about a bromeliad. I think B R O M E L I A D, I believe is the way you spell it. That's right. And I, <laughs> I have a plant that's uh, quite uh, large and uh, uh, maybe 25, I think you call them fronds. And I put it in the uh, plastic bag with rotten apples mm-hmm. to try to induce a bud. Mm-hmm. I took the bag off it on the first of January, mm-hmm. but it hasn't done, hasn't produced a flower. Uh, a few months ago, the fronds started coming in with red back backs on the mm-hmm. back of the frond was red. Yeah, I thought that was a sign it was going to. Uh, Elsie, how do you water that plant when you're watering it? I, I pour water into the, you know, the... The center of the plant. Yes. Good. And it's, it's from... It's, it, a good example of a bromeliad is uh, pineapples. So yes. imagine, yeah, what those... The, it's like a rosette of leaves. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. We water in the center, and when the flower bud starts to form, it forms right in the center, and it yes. starts to grow up right through but the center. But mine is still putting up... It's little yeah. Is, and how many years have you had that plant? Well, actually, I started this plant. It has never bloomed. Uh-huh. I started it from a a little shoot that came out of, of beside a big plant yeah. before. Uh, so, so that this was... plant actually is a new plant in the last couple of years. Okay. So a couple of things. One is be patient. They do need to reach a certain level of maturity before they'll flower. Also make sure you've got it in as much sun as you can possibly have it. They love a nice hot sunny spot in your home. Window ledge facing south or west is great. Uh, Just make sure you always have that nice tepid like room temperature almost like a distilled water preferably that you pour into the center of the plant. Um, The idea of the apple and the plastic bag is a good one. If the plant is ready and mature enough to flower, it will. So what I would do if I were you is just keep it in that sunny spot, leave it this fall. Next January, let's try the bag trick. Uh, It doesn't have to be rotten apples, just a regular apple, plastic bag, bromeliad inside the bag for uh, six weeks. And that's, I've got to go. That's the okay. end of the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for your ho, call, Oh, We've hoed our way right through the show here. <laughs> My gosh. Uh, that's it for another Saturday, Charlie. It is. And uh, we'll be seeing you again next week. We will. And thank you so much, Frank, for all your wonderful support. And Grace, I hope you're 
fingers okay. <laughs> Thank you to all our great callers. And I'll see you folks uh, just after the 9 o'clock news, or you've, 10 o'clock news, yeah, rather. You've got yeah. a lot going on still. Oh, a busy show coming I up. I bet you do. We'll all have right. a great show, and I'll see you next week. You bet you, Charlie. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.